Welcome to this special episode today where we are dealing with the crisis in Israel and many of us or all of us are struggling to deal with the news, to deal with the situation in front of us and to come to some form of peace around all of this. So today's episode is a special episode where we delve into the complex landscape of parenting during this time of crisis in Israel. In my first conversation, I'm joined by Mishka Guppin, a seasoned parenting coach from MyMotheringMindset.com, and we discuss how to address this current situation with our children and how to guide them through these challenging times. We also talked about how we can help ourselves stay grounded and be present during these difficult moments. In my second conversation, in the second part of this episode, we take a spiritual perspective. I speak with my dear father, Rabbi Shalom Spalter of Marstown, New Jersey, and we talk about the profound connection one can forge with Hashem and the transformative power of tefillah, of prayer when faced with difficulties. And we discuss some hard questions. And together, I think both of these conversations offer insight into both the practical and the spiritual dimension of navigating difficult circumstances. And it offers a novel approach to finding strength and connection amidst the chaos. So before we dive in, I just want to say a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by tenyad.org. Please go online and check out their upcoming auction and see what you can do to have a chance to win amazing prizes while doing a tremendous mitzvah. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, okclarity.com. And without further ado, let's get right into today's episode. Hello and welcome, Mushka, to A Positive Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on so quickly. Uh, Mushka, parenting. Yeah, Mushka is a parenting coach specifically geared for younger parents of younger children, ages zero to six. Um, I will share some more information about her in the bio in their show notes as well. But I'd like to get right into the conversation that's on a lot of our minds right at this moment, where our hearts and our minds are in Israel. Although we are physically here, we are feeling torn and heartbroken and devastated. And um, it's a real it's a real difficult situation we find ourselves in. We've never, ever found ourselves in such a situation. Um, we've heard stories about our grandparents. We lived through the PTSD of our grandparents' generation of what they went through. And now it feels like we very reminiscent of those times. And I think that I found myself, Matsayantev, being then on Anshlochas, actually. Um, so we found out about it. On, uh, people came to show and told us about it right away. We didn't know the extent of it. They didn't want to tell us details. And I didn't want to hear details. But after Yantif, it was a barrage of information that was coming at me. And I couldn't, I couldn't peel myself away from it. And I found myself going into this black hole, like just going right yeah, into it and same. seeing all those images. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't yeah. sleep. I couldn't eat. And I found myself to be very um, short fuse with my children. And I was like, what's going on here? What am I doing? This is, this is not good. I need to step away from this. And, you know, it's interesting because the Israeli mentality is if you, if you live in Israel, especially during any kind of pagua, any kind of bomb um, bombing, any, any situation that's going on, they are glued to their TVs and now their phones and they just go right into it. They don't stop the music on the, on the radio is sad. It's just like the whole, um, energy and mood is like devastated and it's tenfold right now. This has never been this way in Israel. So um, I guess 
my question to you as somebody who is a parenting coach and somebody who works with little children and helps parents guide them, what would you tell parents now that is so important for us going forward? How do we talk about this with our children? How do we um, help ourselves to stay regulated? How do, what is it that you would recommend to us at this time to keep in mind with regard to everything that's going on? Um, first of all, just as a mother, I relate to everything you said. We had her, I'm in Crown Heights, but we heard, you know, rumors even over Yemtiv. And at that point, we didn't know what was going on. So there was nothing we could do except daven, dance, and sing, you know, it was some chastara, say to Helen during a kafais, whatever. And then same thing after Yemtiv, you turn on your phone and you're just this deluge of information that is way too much to take in at one time. And I think that this helpless feeling of like, especially being not in Israel and um, make like, makes us feel helpless. Like, oh, what can I do? Oh, I know. I'll stay glued to the news. Let me catch up what's happening because then I feel like I'm in on it. And then I feel like I'm part of it. And then I feel like I'm somehow contributing, but then you turn around and like <laughs> you're, you're an anxious wreck and you're yelling at your kids because you're completely unregulated. And so much of the conversation is actually, how do you talk to your kids about it? And I'm kind of like, why do your kids need to hear about it? Like, I think that if you're not in Israel and you absolutely have almost the luxury so it might almost make us feel guilty to see like oh i should be with them in spirit i should be bringing this information into my home i should feel part of it if you have the if you don't have the war at your doorstep why would you bring it into your home like why would i let hamas into my house emotionally or mentally if they're not physically there and it's a real like you really have to stop and think about that because we're our immediate reaction is to turn on the news and to catch up on what's going on and to feel like we're a part of it. But like, we don't, maybe, I think we're fighting, you know, the rabbi was always, you're fighting the spiritual. And what does that mean? So what? So I should say to Helen, like, what does that mean? It means that if you're not there physically, your head gets to be clear. It means that you get to be a mental soldier. You get to bring sharp mental energy. You get to not be, and the opposite of spirituality is negativity and depression. And I mean, you can throw in the words from the Tanya here, you know, but it's the opposite of Avaitis Hashem. It's the opposite of Simcha. It's the opposite of good. It's the opposite of Bitechen and Emunah. So how are you supposed to fight spiritually if you're willingly putting yourself, it's not so willing, it's more like, it's almost like subconscious. It's like, let me turn on my phone. It's, it's automatic, right? It, it takes a great, it takes conscious effort basically to not, let yourself get sucked into it. And I think that, I mean, look, it, and the other thing is like, okay, so I can stay up on the news the whole night, which is what I did the first night. And I was like, but it's Easter Chag, the next day my kids don't have school, I'm going to wake up, they still need breakfast, they still need to be fed, I still need to take them to the park, I still need to take them on a trip because there's no school. So how does it service my kids and my home and my Avaida right now and my practical daily life I was stressed out about something that I have zero control over. Like following the news doesn't give me control. It's a sense of control. It makes you feel like you're doing something. You're not doing anything and you're just, you know, you're spiraling yourself further. And side point, when have we ever believed the news, especially in times of war? It's pure propaganda, like in general, in wartime. Like 
we know that like objectively we know that you know i mean it's things are very real they're happening like and that's what makes it so scary but like why do you think that like the army is giving you updates through yeshivaworldsnews.com or whatever like why 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 is that giving you a sense of control over the situation like you're literally like hours behind israel and you're hours and hours behind the developments there and in real life you have a real life you asked a really good question you said um why do they, why do we even need to tell our children? So that's a really good question. I want to go into that for a second. So, you know, I noticed yesterday in Crown Heights, they had like a whole rally and they have rallies for children because they're ever talked about this idea that the the power of the prayer of the of the children, you know, we know with, with Mordechai and, and Purim and over history so many times, the power of children's tefillahs. And I was thinking to myself, like my little one doesn't know anything. My seven-year-old has no clue about what's going on. Very, 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 very little. And I, and I feel like if she was to go to a rally like that, she's going to have lots of questions because that's her personality. That's who she is. And even younger children, I know um, one of my sister-in-laws brought her kids to the rally last night. And she was saying that, you know, this one wanted to sleep in a room and this one was saying she's scared. And that one was saying what, what, what's happening? Why do they hate us? Like all the things that are so challenging. So on one hand, I feel the power of children is important. But it's really a balance because talking about it, even anything at all, is enough to bring up a lot of fear in children that 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 are different. And you now that you know, I think children today are different than the children twenty years ago. Meaning, not that they're different, but their resilience is in a different level, and and they're dealing with a lot of other things that are going on. And we're you know helping them build their resilience, but at the same time, we don't want them to struggle even more emotionally, especially the more sensitive children, especially those that are, you know, HSPs and the ones that really feel deeply and are empaths, all of that. So I'm really feeling like a balance with that. And and I'm curious what you want to say, what you have to say about that. Um, I think we need to come back to children are resilient. I, they're not, they're not at all resilient. They just <laughs> stuff it inside. I think you were once a child. Think about the things that still, you know, make you worried or that you remember being worried about as a kid. Like kids have real fears and real anxieties, especially when they don't have the ability to process them. They get just, you know, like the scary monster under the bed. They just, like, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in their heads. And like, there is no monster under the bed, right? You're a kid. Like, let me shine the flashlight and show you that there is no monster. So there's that two parts here. The first part is that they are not resilient. And when we put something on them that they're not ready for, and a lot of, parenting people especially to this during COVID time and I was not into it where it's like kids are resilient let's teach them about you know germs and stuff like that and it's like why don't we not and and like in other words why do we have to expose them to all the news going on all the time how much can I protect them from it and then step b is okay to the extent that they're exposed to something or they come with questions, or they are going to hear about it from their siblings, their neighbors, their friends, the rallies, the news on the street, then it's how much can I give them act accurate and factual information? Because in their minds, they are going to absolutely catastrophize because they're kids and of, of any age. And so, um, and they get, they just, they keep the anxiety inside of them. So my first thing is, bubble them up as much as you can. So you have a seven-year-old and you say, hey, there is a war going on in Israel. You might hear scary things about it. it that's because war, you know, it's in Israel and we're going to say to hell him about it. Like, you don't have, like, that's more than enough. Like, even a war is kind of a vague concept as it should be to a seven-year-old. 
Um, I mean, there's there, I've seen a lot of resources. I'll put one out about how to talk to your kids of all ages. But again, I come back to like, why do I even want to as much as I can, as much as I can, how could I not expose my child to this? Step B is if they do need to be exposed, if they were already exposed, if they come back to me with questions, then being really factual and giving them and I don't mean like, oh yeah, like giving them gory details, but it's like, yeah, like really basically it's just validating the fears. And it's like, yes, it could be scary and our house is safe. It could be scary and we believe that Hashem will help us. Like it, it like it is valid to be scary. Um, and I just I I also think that your home is a a your home is like an airplane or like a ship or something, and you're the captain or the pilot of it. And like, if there's turbulence, do do your kids need to know every single time? Or do they only really need to know when to put on their seatbelts? Like you can make one vague general announcement, like, hey, we're hitting turbulence. Like if we hit turbulence, I will tell you to put on your seatbelt. And then you remain calm. Do do you want to be on a flight where every five minutes, the captain is giving you up-to-date information about what's actually happening in the air? Like, I don't, no, I don't. Just get me there safely. And that makes me Some people actually do. Some people feel safer knowing. Those people have anxiety because that's a false self of of control. You're not in the cockpit. You're not the pilot. It makes no difference to you what information you have. So again, there's that illusion of control where you think if you have more information, that will make you feel safer. And actually, when you have more information, you spiral further because you have a more educated spiral to go into. (laughs) Like um, there's that. I think that fine line of inducing anxiety or feeding into anxiety. I think kids today are more anxious because they're more exposed to stuff. They hear more adult news. They hear uh, and see things in the media and just on screens and on phones, and they're exposed to more stuff. I think that's why kids are more, in general, um, more sensitive. And also we're more aware of it, maybe, who knows, whatever. Um, But I don't think the answer is give them more information. The answer is actually protect them more, safeguard childhood even more. Like it's so, it's so, it ends, it ends at a certain point, not in age of years. It ends in your head, like the freedom, the, the naivete, the innocence, the joy, the, like the child running free, like just preserve that as much as possible. And if, again, if you have the ability and the luxury, cause it's not literally, you're not living in air sirens. Right. So, okay. So what would be the appropriate amount for, for us to be digesting the information like obviously not living on whatsapp you know not always being on um but what but i still want to know and i want to be updated um what would what's the right amount like i have to figure this out for myself and i'm sure people listening want to you know think about this question as well like what is the right amount that i should be digesting and taking in information um i there i I don't know if there's an objective right amount the right amount is the amount that you can handle to the extent that it doesn't impact your daily functioning. And by that, I mean, like you're able to to be totally present and emotionally and regulated for your kids and for your real life and your real day-to-day, you know, life that's happening in front of you. How much is your head living and what's not going on? How much are you grounded in what your five senses can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch? Like what my real life versus how much are you putting your head in some place that you have zero control over. Um, and, um, it's, it's not going to be the same answer for everyone. It's like, how much capacity do I have? How much can I take? That's Um, true. But there's also the element, like I went to the gym this morning and I did a workout class and there's a lot of non-Jewish women there. 
and they're just living their lives. And I'm thinking there, I'm sitting to myself and I'm like, it's so not right. I felt so much guilt. Like I'm just living my life here, going to the gym, doing my regular routine. And there's children that are, and women and men that are being tortured right now in Gaza. And I, I, there's just like tears running down my cheeks as I'm thinking about that. So like, you're right. But there's that element of that. We, we, it's like you said, it's an illusion of control. Number one, but there's another element is that there's this guilt that we have that how can we live our day-to-day -day life while our brothers and sisters are suffering? And I'm sure this is not a new thing. I mean, think about, you know, during the Holocaust, what the American Jews must have felt like those that were getting information, even though they didn't have the information, like we have it today with, with what we're dealing with. And also knowing what's true, what's not true, what's false information as it comes in. But I really feel like that's another part of it. We feel guilt. How can I just sit here and have like a leisurely lunch with my husband and stay grounded? Cause that's what I need right now while my brothers and sisters are suffering. You know, the, the first, I, the first thing I thought immediately when, when I heard war was happening and it, you know, first my husband comes home and he's like, oh, the janitor told me there's war. Then the next day I think he comes home. Oh, it's really bad. You know, like that's how we heard it over. Oh, he, oh, the janitor opened his phone and told me it's really, really bad. You know? Um, and I was like, I mean, I was stuck. At, I was just home with the kids. And I was like, well, what would, what would, what did the rabbis say? I don't, I'm, I'm not too well versed. You know, I was like, I'll, I'll look it up after you. What did the rabbis say when it was four times in Israel? And that's what the rabbis said. We have to fight a spiritual war. We, you know, that's what we can do. That's our battlefront. So then it comes down to what does it mean to fight a spiritual war? And I really think it comes down to remaining, remaining, um, not, don't give into terror. Don't give into terror. Don't give into fear. Rise above what you're being fed. You're being fed, you're feeling guilty. Where is that feeling coming from? Does it serve you to feel this guilt? Does it uh, does it impact you in a positive way? I think it's precisely because we get to feel privileged, precisely because we're privileged enough to not be there um, that we, like, like this is the, I, I don't know. In other words, I, I hear you on feeling guilty. I think it's not the answer. Feeling guilty means that there is something that I should be doing right now that I'm not currently doing. But what if I'm doing everything I need to be doing? And what if what I'm doing is rising above the collective consciousness of fear? And what if I'm tapping into a source higher than me? And we can call that source Amuna, Bitachan, Hashem, security, like I'm not being dragged, and, and if you feel that, then that then it will impact others as well because this is a spiritual thing, and collectively, we are just act, we're just coming at it from a place of like, I am th that's real control. The only real control you can take is over the thoughts in your head, right? Like the bane like may not come out, but you know at least you can try. That's right. that's what we can try to control. Um, um, and not letting, not bringing the fear into your home, not bringing the fear into your life, not bringing even the guilt and the helplessness. How does the guilt and helplessness serve you? That's what I would ask. Yeah. Like, does it serve you? Like if it question. doesn't, then it's not your right. Like this, that's literally so, not. I think that there's a, there's a, like a, an illusion of, oh, it's serving me. It's keeping me with my brothers and sisters davening for them. It's keeping me sad enough to just keep leaning into my faith and, and prayer and, okay, let me go daven. Let me go say to him. So maybe that's an illusion, but in some regard, I think there's an element of that. And that's why I need to have, I need to have, I can't be completely um, disconnected from the news. I want to hear what's going on, but I feel like it needs to be in, in a healthy amount. I mean, I speak to people in my community. These are non-observant um, secular Jews 
many of them assimilated. They are so broken and they feel so disconnected and they are drowning in the news and it's just bringing them down. And like you mentioned before, I also, and I also heard Chase Taub talk about this in his, one of his clips that he put out saying that that is the agenda of Hamas. If you really think about it, they're not coming in saying, wait, let's get our land back. Cause there there's, that's not happening. And they know this as well. Their goal here is to bring All us, right. much, yeah. terrorize us and break our spirit so much yeah. that it, that is a, one of the ways that they will hurt us the most. And they are being, they're being successful with that right now. So yeah. imagine if we were able to say, well, this isn't serving us because we are actually giving into our enemies. Yeah, I agree. With this. So that's why I think it's not serving us mostly because it's an illusion of control. It gives us a sense of, Oh, I know what's going on. It's keeping me connected to my brothers and sisters in Israel. Yes. But in small amounts and it's, and, and we shouldn't be giving into the darkness because we're supposed to be bringing light. And by separating from that, we, we can, we can help ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I also, I, we're not, hel- I, we're not helpless. We're being so far and being so disconnected. You know, we feel guilty. We'll feel helpless. We are not helpless. We are in the most powerful position. We can get, we, we can rise like mentally and like, you know, in clarity above the terror and the fear because we're not physically there. Um, and, um, and we could not, expose ourselves to you talked about ptsd i mean which you doesn't have that we can choose to not we can opt out of exposing ourselves and getting traumatized from this and and i think that's a really powerful position to be in and it flips the narrative in our own heads instead of saying i'm so helpless i must check the news that will help me connect to them and feel more empathetic and cry harder when i dive in what if we flipped it and said, I am in the most powerful position because I can access tefillah from a place of absolute like Hashem, I don't know, like literally take these words and do whatever you want with them. Like, because like, that's just, like giving, giving the control back to him because we literally have no control over it. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a good way of reframing it. Instead of feeling guilty that we are not there, we're helpless, we're not helpless. We're actually in a better position to able to do things. We have the mental clarity. We have the ability to step back and think and really come from a place of prayer and, and kind of be able to be calm about it versus panicked, afraid, and living in in, in stuck in our, in our home in, in a safe room where we can't move and do anything. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that's a spiritual war. I think I really believe, I was just really thinking, what does the rabbit mean to say a spiritual war? Like say to Helen, like I can't say to Helen 24 seven, I'm taking care of kids. And that's the answer. It's, it's tapping into this higher energy of not being terrorized, right. And tapping into the, you can only access Amuna and Bittachain. You can only access this if you're not being dragged down by the Yisahara. It's a very powerful place to be in, um, but you 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 give away that power when you say like, "Well, I need to watch clips. <laughs> I need to see what's going on in the news." Like, and, and then what you're doing is you're making yourself a victim of war. You're you're putting yourself in psychological warfare, and you're 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 making yourself you're putting yourself willingly into the hands of the terrorists by letting yourself by letting your mind be terrorized from that. And we do that because we think that makes us. We think that's like our contribution to war. Let me also be terrorized by them. What if your contribution to war was to shut it off and say it's not coming into my home? My home is remaining a Jewish, calm, stable, happy home. My children will be able to say the 12 sukkim at the supper table 
because I told them we're staying the 12s again. They don't, they almost don't even need to know why, right? My children will be able to have a calm, present mother who lovingly sends them off to school because I haven't woken up and checked WhatsApp first thing in the morning. Like what that this comes back to like, what is, what do you believe your Avaita is? What do you believe Avaita is? What do you believe? You know, I love that. That's a really good way of reframing it. Uh, what about when our children come home from school? Like, this is one of the things that I'm concerned about today. Our children are back. Even those of us that have not told our children, they're going to find out things from friends. Unfortunately, there are children that know things, you know, yeah. even my kid in Israel. And I'm like, he doesn't yeah. need to know this information. This is so traumatizing. It is. And, it's and too much too soon. Too much. Yeah. It's too much. Um, so what can we do in that space where um, our children are, are getting information otherwise from other places that we don't have, that are out of our control? Yeah. Um, that in general is it's always like follow their lead and and hear what did they hear and then process with them. What did they hear? So don't feed them more that like respond to the the. Take it, break it down a lot, break down what they're saying. What do you think that means? Well, here's what it could mean. Here's what it does mean. And what do you think about this? And how does this piece make you feel? Is there anything else that you heard? Um, you know, I, I can totally have this conversation with you if you have more questions about it another time. So it's also being open and not like, oh my God, don't say that word. Like, um, I mean, you could say like, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about this. Now is not the best time, you know? Um, Everyone came home, we're in the middle of doing supper or something. There's little kids around. Um, but immediately shutting it down also re- reinforces, oh, this is something so scary that my own mother won't talk to me about it. And that reinforces anxiety and fear and terror. And that leaves them alone to deal with these scary feelings. So we do want to help them process the information that they heard and process it in a way that doesn't leave them with like these unknown emotions. Um, but again, that's very like, take it slowly you know, you know, your kid, you know, the, you know, the, you should know your kid, <laughs> you should know how much can they take um, yeah. and how much is, and also this is a great time. I don't want to say this is a great time, but this is a time where if you can put it into context in a very intellectual way that they might already know information about um, and just ties it to something they already know. Like, yeah, well, you know, in the Hanukkah story, how the Maccabees had to fight against the enemies, like that's kind of what's happening now in Israel. And it's like, oh, well, in the Hanukkah story, the Maccabees won, you know, so kind of contextualizing also um, what happened by tying it into stuff that they know, um, maybe more intellectually or like it's like text to text, like um, um, like giving them context for it in context of what they already possibly know about, again, depending on the Asian kid, world events or history, or like they've read some scary bomb, you know, they have these comic books about like bombs and miracles and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, what's happening in Israel is similar to that comic book you have about the Yom Kippur war or something. Right. So something like that. Um, do you think it's okay for children to see us sad, crying, um, even a little bit? I, you know, my concern with this is, um, what place is it coming from in you? So like, if someone, you know, if there's a tragedy in the family and, and you're breaking down one day and you're like, well, mommy's crying. Cause I'm still really sad that Zadie passed away or something, but that's one thing. Um, yeah. Or you say like, I'm so sad about the Yidin and sister all I I'm feeling so sad about it. Let me pause right now in my cooking and take out my Tehillim and say a capital Tehillim. That's like healthy modeling. But if you're just breaking down for no reason and you're literally giving them your anxiety, 
and then you try to say like oh yeah it's because there's a war in israel like there's a war in israel and my mother is breaking down like again what position are you putting your child into one where like he has to deal with your feelings and you can't get a grip on yourself so um um it, it's like if it's becoming too much for you to handle then step one, maybe you should be taking a step back from what's going on because you can't be present for your family. Um, but then step two, um, can you at least model in a healthy way that you, if you could model in a healthy way how you're overcome with big emotions and how you're also coping with them, that's one thing. If you cannot do it, then you need to get off the news because it's not yeah. working for you. So everyone has to know what their what their own um, threshold is and what they can handle and to remember that doesn't make you stronger because you're on the phone and, and and the news all day long it's not it's not making you a stronger more better jew or better connected to our brothers and sisters in israel thank no. you so much mushka this has been very insightful very helpful i think a lot of people will gain from it so thank you for your time thank you for having me i hope that um i hope that we do you know all our spiritual efforts do bear you know we do see immediate results in a very amen. physical way amen The Positive Podcast is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how religious you are, to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted, and they have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there, because I'm listed as a coach. If you're in the market for a therapist, a coach, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you with someone. Just an important side note, if you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and I've received referrals from their platform and OK Clarity has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor, so you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. We'll put the links to their website and their WhatsApp in the show notes so you can find those links and go ahead, smash those links. You will not regret it. And now back to our show. Okay, so welcome to my dear father, Rabbi Schwalter from Morristown, New Jersey, somebody that I look up to very much and I value his opinion. And I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity for me to discuss with my dear father and ask him for some insight onto some questions in the spiritual realm of things. You know, we are we find ourselves at war and it's not just our brothers and sisters in Eretz Israel and Israel, but we ourselves feel like we're at war as well, all of the Jewish people, we're all one. And it's hard at this time to find comfort and to find a way forward. Share with us, if you don't mind, Tati, what is, we know what the Rebbe's message is every time there's, the Rebbe says over and over again, that that the land of Eretz Israel is the safest place in the world. And I, I find it, you know, what does that mean? to say that it's the safest place in the world and at the same time all of this is going on so much 
death and so much horror, how can we say, how can these two things be happening? How can both of these be true? And I know that they are, I believe, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my heart around it. Um, basically, uh, first of all, thank you, Rizal, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So first, you have to remember, first of all, that everything that the Rebbe says is not that the Rebbe comes up with his own ideas. Everything is based on Torah. Everything is what it says in the Torah. And the Rebbe always quoted a Pasuk. Whenever he spoke about that, that Israel is the safest place, he always quoted the same Pasuk over and over again. It says in the Torah, Tomid that the Abishter constantly, means forever, ever and ever and ever, the eyes of Hashem is looking and looking and protecting Eretz Yisrael. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. That just doesn't mean that uh, things cannot happen there. Things can happen anywhere in the world. And maybe we'll get into it a little bit later in the conversation, that even those things that happen is also, there's hard to explain, and there aren't exact explanations that we humans can understand, but as much as we can explain it, uh, we we should try to explain it and understand a little bit, even though we'll never get to the bottom of it. And so if, even though things happen and not necessarily good things happen, the opposite of good things happen, unfortunately, uh, it still doesn't contradict the fact that the Abishter says that the safest and the eyes of the Abishter is constantly towards Israel, because Israel is the land as we actually are right now in Parshish Barashish. And Rashi brings down right in the beginning of the commission, Rashi explains that the Torah should not even have had to begin from Bereshit's Baruch, just a storybook from the beginning of Bereshit's until the beginning of Chumash Shmois, where it starts talking about the first mitzvah. And Torah is mitzvahs. So what is it, a story, a history book? And Rashi explains that the reason why the Torah starts from Bereshit until there is to tell us that Eretz Yisrael is our land. Eretz Yisrael is the Abishter gave it to whoever wants. He created it in the beginning. He gave it to these people, and then he took it away from these people and gave it to these people. And he gave it to us. It's our land. And therefore, if it's our land, <clears throat> who are we? We are Hashem's children. So therefore, yes, it's his land. If it's his land, his eyes are there constantly and it is the most protective place and unfortunately as i said before things happen anywhere in the world it doesn't control the fact so you're saying is that really we don't understand as human beings we don't get to see the whole picture we can only see parts of it so to uh, to our our eyes it seems unsafe but we don't see the whole picture we don't really know that they're actually in all of these things hashem has a plan and hashem hashem's running the world we don't understand it you're right Correct, 100% right. I want to just, you know, even though we're trying to focus on the spiritual and the Torah aspect, but the, some sometimes we can understand things also from uh, a, 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 a story or not necessarily a true story, but a story which is used as an example, as a muscle to explain it. And as I actually heard the story from... Oh, 
somebody explaining some situation like this, that there were two boys uh, who were fighting, that they both uh, want, they both wanted to have a bicycle. And they both said they're going to pray very hard to Hashem, that Hashem should give them a bicycle. They both went away and they, they davened and they prayed. A week later, one of the boys comes back with a old busted up bicycle and a busted up face. And the other boy doesn't have a bicycle. So the boy who got the busted up bicycle taunts the boy with doesn't have the bicycle. You see, Hashem answered my prayers. I got a bicycle. And he said, you're wrong. Hashem answered my prayers. And he said, no. Okay. Which means, in other words, we don't know what is the right way. We're human beings. We have no idea how to run a world. You know, the famous story of the Alter Rebbe and his friends who sat down. If I would have been God, I would have run the world this way and this way. I said, the Alter Rebbe said, I would have run the world exactly how Hashem runs it now because I would understand what's going on. We don't understand. So, yes, yeah. it's all from Hashem. We don't understand. Right. So another question I have that um, has been, I've heard from other people and <clears throat> the people that struggle with this idea, you know, to me personally, I have, a, I get a lot of comfort from davening to Hashem saying to him, it, it, it does. I don't think it always did, but as I've grown older, it really gives me a lot of comfort, but some people have expressed this idea and, and I, and I understand it. And it's a real, real question. The question is how can we daven and pray and ask Hashem to help us when there's two parts to this question, really. I'm thinking about it. One part is, is how can we dive into Hashem and pray to Hashem that's doing this exact thing, that's making this happen, that he's causing all these to happen. And also at the same time, if we believe that everything from Hashem, this is the second part, everything is from Hashem and everything ultimately has good in it. We just don't understand it. Why should we dive in? We should let Hashem just do what he's doing and let it be the way it is. So it's it's a two-part question. How am I able to pray to a God who doesn't seem, who seems to be doing something that's the opposite of good and the opposite of, of anything that's going to, any anything good in it. And, and to say, on the other hand, if I believe that everything from Hashem is good, why am I dominating? The answer to this question is a very complicated one, and it's a little bit long. So if you are interested and you can, I will try to explain it, and I will try to shorten the long version of it. But even the short version of it is going to be a little bit long. And there are a few points that we'll have to build together in order to be able to get to the bottom to the answer, which will answer everything together. But it's good. let me bring out a few different points. First of all, I want you to know the concept of prayer, of davening, is not a thing that happened, uh, you know, because somebody decided, let's make prayer. In the, the beginning of the world, you're actually learning Chumash right now. In the beginning of the world, was already prayer. In yesterday's Chitas, which we learned yesterday, which, by the way, another thing that the Rebbe constantly speaks about protection is Chitas. You know, and the times when we need protection to learn the Chumash, the Tilim, and the Tanya Chitas. Yesterday's Chitas, what does the Torah tell us? That the whole Siyach saw the Terem Yitzmach, nothing grew because there was no rain. Why was why was no rain? Because other, there was no person, people were not, other Malaysian was not created yet. And then Rashi says, and therefore, being that Malaysian was not created, so he didn't pray for rain. Once he was created, he prayed for rain. It started raining. So right in this, right in the beginning of Chumash, the Torah tells us that prayer brings blessing into the so, world. 
It makes things happen. Yeah. Right. Question could be just right there. Hashem wanted it to grow. Let him make it grow. If you didn't want it to grow, who's all of coming around and 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 making a prayer so that rain should come? It's the same exact question. Think about it, just in a different form. We find in Torah the famous prayer when the Eden did so many <laughs> not good things, the Chita Egel and the Chitam, the famous prayer of Yudgimah Menesarachmim, the 13, 13 Midas, the 13 uh, attributes, uh, of attributes of mercy, <clears throat> is also Moshe Rabbeinu had it in, 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 in when? When people were doing the opposite of what Hashem wanted to do, and Hashem wanted to punish, Moshe Rabbeinu went and prayed. So Hashem wanted to punish Moshe Rabbeinu is getting involved. Not only Moshe Rabbeinu is getting involved, Hashem told him, leave me alone and I'll destroy them. What do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu was holding Hashem's hand. He... And Rashi says, no. Rashi brings up from the Talmud that Hashem told him, it's in your hands, pray, I'll change. Now, wh what does that mean? What exactly does that mean, actually? Think about it. What do you mean, I'll change my mind? Hashem's mind is changed. What, 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 what is going on over here? So, bad does not come from Hashem. It says, in Eicha, from Hashem does not come out bad. We have one Hashem, one God, who everything that He does is good. The Ebeshter is a kind God, and everything that he does is good. Sometimes the famous explanation is, yeah, sometimes not such good things happen because we don't, and we don't understand. It really is good, but we just don't understand. But let me look at it a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different a little different perspective, a little bit, not, not a different explanation, but just in a different angle to get to the same point. You have a room and there's a light shining. Then somebody comes and builds up a wall between the light and the other side of the room where there's no light. It becomes pitch dark in the other side of the room because there's no light. Does that mean that there's no light? Or that the the wall is blocking the light. The light is there. The light is all over. Just you build up a wall, obviously. You're blocking the you're blocking the light. The same thing will be here also. Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world and gave everybody into put everybody in the world and gave everybody a certain job to do. We have 613 mitzvahs, the world has seven mitzvahs, commandments to go, to follow by. But this is the way Hashem set up the world and said, and then, you'll go my way, you'll have the whole light. And then we come and we build up walls and we block the light. So it's not that the bad comes from Hashem. It's, Hashem is giving us only good. What's happening is we are building walls and we stop the light from coming. Now, I'm not saying that what happened over here is a result of this is not the Rebbe's way. 
the Rebbe never spoke. We should know because this, because that, because what was going on, that's what happened. Never. The point over here is everybody should look at themselves. It says, Everybody in the world, there is no person who can say 100% I never did anything off the line. But not that I tell it to you or you tell it to me. Everybody should tell it themselves. Let's look inside ourselves. Let's see where I need to take that wall which I build to have a little bit more light. And sure, it's like the story of the little kid on the boat who was drilling the hole. And the guys ask him, what are you doing? I'm doing it on my part. It's my seat. Yes, when we build a wall for ourselves, we are part of this world. It affects the rest of the world. So there's no bad coming from Hashem. Mm -hmm. It comes only good from Hashem. So it's the same point which we say, you know, we don't know the good, but I'm trying, I'm taking it from a different angle because I want to try to answer the question of prayer. Okay. Right. Now, this is um, one point which we have to remember that the good is only coming, the good only from Hashem comes only good. And if the opposite of good is because somebody built a, ball, a wall for himself and therefore it's blocking the good. Number one. Number two, prayer is not only a Jewish thing. Prayer is a worldly thing. All the nations pray. Everybody goes and prays. Nevertheless, in Hebrew, if we're going to translate the word prayer by us, it's called tefillah versus bakasha. Bakasha means I'm asking, a request. Tefillah also says prayer, but Tfila also has another translation, which means connecting. In the Mishnah, there says a whole halacha, if you connect two vessels one to the other, the wording that the Mishnah says is hatoy fail, same word, same shoydish, tof pei lamed, tof pei lamed, the same shoydish, connect two vessels, and concerning different laws, not going to go into the laws of the Mishnah, which is irrelevant. It's just that the word filah also means connecting, which means, in other words, when you pray because you're doing a bakasha, so you're doing it because you're lacking something, you're missing something. So therefore, I'm praying to God because I'm missing that thing, and I'm asking God to fulfill my need or my whatever I'm lacking. And if you're not lacking anything, then the whole concept of prayer is over. Because my whole, the whole tension of prayer is just to fulfill my needs. So if I don't need anything, if I'm a millionaire and I'm healthy and wealthy and I have a beautiful family, everything is good. I don't even need to, what do you call it, to pray. What is tefillah? Tefillah means connecting. In other words, as you said before, sometimes you just have the urge to pray. Un unfortunately, because we are humans, so the urge also comes when we need something. And in halacha, yes, in halacha, the halacha is that when a person is in need of something, he should turn to God and pray. That's the halacha. But the concept of praying is much more than just praying and asking for Hashem to fulfill 
my needs. The concept is I then want to all of a sudden connect with Hashem. I want to become one with Hashem. I want to be higher than what I am. And therefore, but usually tefillah comes also with the feeling of I did something wrong. Let me rectify my ways. Let me straighten myself out. And therefore, ask Hashem, please also fulfill my 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 needs as well. So the concept of tefillah means to connecting with Hashem. That's one of the things it says. It says, and, and the Rebbe explains it many sikhs, and Chassidus talks about it. And it's also a concept in the Talmud, in the not only Chassidus, so why we pray every day? Why does Hashem have to give us food every day? Why the man came down for 40 years, came down every day for the, how much you need for that day? Hashem is going to give the man for 40 years. Hashem should have given it in the beginning. The man, the man, if Hashem wanted it to become spoiled, it got spoiled. And if he didn't want it to get spoiled, it didn't get spoiled. If you left over for the next day, any man, it got spoiled and worms started coming out of it. And for Shabbos and Friday, Shabbos it didn't. So Hashem could have done the same thing. Give them a man for 40 years and let them be happy. But the problem, the problem then is, then they would be secure for 40 years. They have it all. No praying. There's no connecting with Hashem. So Hashem said, I'll give you for every day. Comes at night. Oh, what's going to be tomorrow? Pray to Hashem. It says in the Medrash, a very interesting thing concerning today's parasha and Chumash. Very interesting how much the Hashgacha Paratis is. We're talking about Today is talking about the story of the Nachash with the snake, with, with Eva and Chava and, uh, and the Mauritian. <clears throat> what does the Torah says? The Torah says that the Shem cursed the Nachash. What did he tell him? One of the things he tell him, he told him, You will eat earth all your life. Which means that, some of them explain, means that everything you're going to eat is going to taste like earth. So you, But there's a very beautiful if you know. It says like this, he said, Nochash, you have all your food ready for you. And therefore, you will never have to pray to me. You will never have to get connected to me. I don't want you to be connected to me. So I'm giving you everything now so you don't pray to me. You don't get connected with me. Which brings us to the whole concept of why Hashem does sometimes some things. And well, wasn't let... he worried? Wasn't the Nachash also concerned? The snake was worried that even that he was worried there wouldn't be enough of that, even though it, it, it there's so much that's, of it. That's that's, uh, that's another uh, you know another angle. Anxiety. How some that's... some you know some explain it, but the the medrash, this is a medrash, right? That Hashem did not want him to pray. So he said, "You have everything there. I don't want you to pray to me. I don't want you to be connected with me." And that brings us a little bit more to the understanding of the concept of, of davening from one angle, and then we'll get back, we'll try to put it all together. Hashem is like we know, is our father. And sometimes a father hides from his children because he wants his children to call out, Tati, Tati. He wants them to come to him. Hashem loves a child. A father loves a child. A child loves a parent. But sometimes 
the child acts a little silly. So in order for the child to feel the greatness and, and of being connected with the father, the father hides. And then we start davening. And Hashem wants us to daven in. It says, Moshe Rabbeinu was punished not to go into Eretz Hashem. It says he prayed. How many prayers did he pray? Tov Kuf Tez Zayin. 516 prayers. Which is the numeral value of the word Ve'eschanan. And it's the same numeral value of the word Tefillah. Does that mean that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed that amount of prayers and all of it was in vain, it was nothing, nothing happened. We don't know exactly what each tefillah accomplishes. As I told you before, the story with the little boy with the bicycle. They both prayed. They both got their answer. One got an answer, they started getting a bike. He won't have his face bashed in. The other got his bike and got his face all bashed in with a broken bicycle. We can, and, and therefore what? The, does that mean that the boy who did not get the bicycle, his prayer was not answered. Every prayer gets answered. And Hashem wants us to pray. Hashem is begging us because Hashem wants us. As I say, the prayer, tefillah does not mean only prayer and begging and asking, please make my checkbook full. It means let me connect with Hashem. What happens when we connect with Hashem? And here comes the, the end of the explanation to bring it all together. When we connect with Hashem, we reach a level in Hashem which is higher than being affected by the wall which is built up. So I don't want to use the word sin. I'm trying to avoid it. So I'm calling it the wall. But that's what happens. We build up a wall, the light can't get through. But if you go over the wall, if you go higher than the wall, then the light is not being stopped from anything. And that is what connecting with Hashem is. We connect with a higher level. We connect with Hashem to the level where the wall is not affecting the light from coming through. And therefore, to summarize the whole thing, we're praying to God who is doing this. No, God didn't do this. We build the wall, not God. So you're asking, how can you pray to a God who does that? God is only doing good. So besides that we don't understand, and sometimes something negative really is good, we just don't understand, I'm getting it from a different angle. It's The point is that God didn't do anything bad. So why are you blaming him for it? That's number one. Number two is, what can we... What does Hashem want? If he did, he did do it, first of all, that takes care of the second part of the question also. He didn't do it. The second part of the question was, if he does, if he did it, so why are we doing against what he wants to do and we're going to pray? No, again, he didn't do it. But number one, number two, he still wants us to pray because as I remember I um, gathering from the Rebbe when the Rebbe spoke about the Holocaust, he was on the Shabbat Rabbi intentionally did not want to speak about it in in a weekday in in order because the Rabbi was so emotional and so it was I remember that for Bengin it was Hashem, but the Rabbi was crying bitterly. And you know, the Rabbi didn't like to do these things in public, even though we know he sometimes he did do these things in public, we couldn't hold himself. But 
He then explained, he said, uh, the Holocaust is like a doctor who is cutting off a patient's foot, uh, God forbid, because he has uh, uh, diabetes and it's going to kill him if he doesn't take off a foot. The family looks at the doctor like a barbaric butcher who's cutting off their father's foot. But in reality, it's being good. But, uh, but, uh, but then the Rebbe started crying and said, that's a, a physical doctor. But the Ebesh, the Hashem, he can make the, the, the sickness go away without cutting off the foot. So why did he have to cut off the foot? The final answer is we don't understand. But what I'm trying to bring out is that Hashem does things in order for to help us connect with him. Sometimes, you know, you get a little bit of a push in order to get awakened and to and to uh, what do you call it uh, to turn to Hashem. And look what happened now. Let's let, let's look at the positive side of all this. But let's not talk about the negativity, which was, but the unity in Israel today, the unity from. All faces of life. The, the people are just, just, just gushing with, with good. If you see some of the good clips, yeah. you shouldn't look at the negative ones. But the good clips, you see what, what, what people in all walks of life. The unity is very strong right now. We're, we've never been more connected than the and, and, and the, the ironic is that this is what has to bring out the unity by us. Yes. But unfortunately, but this is the point. Right. I hope I tried to answer the question a little bit. Yes, I think you've brought some understanding. I think by focusing on the word connection more than bakasha, it really helps us to... to That's actually a, a from the Rebbe. The Rebbe spoke about it. Shabbos, Pasha, Spirit, stuff. she knew Gimel, if that makes any difference. Yeah, it's good to know. My, know my listeners might want to know the sources, so there you go. Um, well, you know, I appreciate Tati, your time. Thank you so much for sharing and for agreeing to come on. I appreciate it. And um, may we, may all of our tefillahs be answered and may Hashem really hear our tefillahs and take them straight to heaven, to the Kisei covered and bring Mashiach so that we know no more pain and no more suffering. And may all our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, especially those that are captives, they maybe they've freed and brought back in whole and health and, um, Today, Amen. And until then, we should all Amen. And until then, we should all do another good act and another good deed and another mitzvah in order to make it happen. Make it happen.